welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 110, His Word Was in My Heart. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Guess what? We're out of Isaiah. <laughs> we were there for five long, beautiful weeks. I learned a lot, and I'm also learning that there's so much more to learn, and there's so much I still don't understand about Isaiah. And so I just encourage you to keep revisiting Isaiah like I'm going to do, because we are commanded to study and ponder and cherish the words of Isaiah because they're important. But this week, we are moving on to Jeremiah. In these chapters, which are chapters 1 through 3, 7, 16 through 18, and 20, and a lot of the chapters we skip in case you're wondering why we skip them, they're kind of like doom and gloom. This is what about is about to happen to Jerusalem, which is also important because we can see some similarities to our day because what's happening in our day is similar to the wickedness that was happening in Jerusalem at the time. But we do skip those chapters. So we get to hear in those chapters how he's called to be a prophet, how he felt, and then we get to see how he carries that out. We are in the prophecy section of the Old Testament. When we went through Proverbs and Psalms, we were in the poetry section, and then Isaiah is technically in the prophecy section, but he still speaks in poetry. Now we really are into pure prophecy, which I feel like sometimes if you're just trying to read it without context, without personalizing it and knowing a little bit about where you are in the timeline of history in the Old Testament, who Jeremiah was, etc., etc., it can get a little bit hard to read. But when you know those things, when you know who he's talking to and what their problems were, it makes it more personal and more important. It makes it feel more important as you're reading it and really understand the gravity of his words. A lot of his words in Jeremiah are foretelling and warning Jerusalem about the coming destruction. There aren't a ton of stories in Jeremiah, although we do get some. I think it's so interesting, like I said, to think about exactly when Jeremiah fits into the timeline of the Old Testament. He lived about 75 years after Isaiah during the end of the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah's ministry, as recorded here, lasts about 40 years, and the book of Jeremiah starts under the good king Josiah that we learned about a couple of months ago. He's the king that found the scriptures in the temple. They had been lost, and he discovered them, and the words touched his heart, and he did everything he could to try to rid the kingdom of wickedness. But after that, Jeremiah lived during the reign of Jehoiakim, who was extremely wicked. Jehoiakim was king during the time when Jerusalem experienced its first conquering and when so many people were carried away into Babylon. But Jerusalem isn't conquered fully until 11 years later. And during that 11-year gap, when Jeremiah is still there in Jerusalem, is when King Zedekiah was king. Does that name ring any bells? He was king during the time that Lehi took his family and left Jerusalem. Jeremiah is one of those prophets who lived during the time described by Nephi and his father as a time when the prophets were being stoned and killed. Nephi speaks about Jeremiah mentioning that he had been taken away and cast into prison. The other Nephi in the book of Helaman also speaks about Jeremiah and how his prophecies about Jerusalem have been fulfilled. I wonder if Lehi and Jeremiah knew each other. It seems pretty logical to me that they would. They both lived in Jerusalem, and they were in a pretty small minority of people who were still following the Lord's commands. They knew enough about him to know that he had been cast into prison, so it seems to me like it's likely that they would have known each other. 
Isn't it interesting to think that these prophets that were stoned, and Jeremiah, side note, eventually is carried away into Egypt and stoned, these prophets that we read about in the Book of Mormon were real people with real lives, with family and friends, and with stories of their own. They aren't abstract, made-up characters. Jeremiah is one of those men that they spoke about, and he was a man with real insecurities with worries, with fears, with a desire sometimes to retreat and go live an easier life. So let's talk about him. One of the most significant doctrines in the book of Jeremiah is the doctrine of foreordination. Jeremiah tells his story about his calling in chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Some variation of this story is told so many times in the scriptures as the Lord calls his prophets. The Lord calls someone to be a prophet. They feel inadequate. The Lord tells them that it doesn't matter because they have been called by him. One of the special things about this chapter is the reinforcement of the idea that there was a preexistence that we lived with our Father in heaven before we came here, that he knew us and loved us, and that we had personality and strengths and weaknesses. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I was talking to one of my best friends today about something that I feel called to do strongly. But... I don't like even saying it out loud, even to my husband, because I feel that the prompting that I'm feeling is coming from the Lord, and I I just don't want it to be real. I feel a little like Jeremiah. I feel inadequate. I feel doubt in myself. I also have doubt in some ways that the Lord really needs it to be that way. I kind of have thoughts like, won't everything be just fine if I just decide to do it this other way? There's nothing wrong with that way, right? But this thought of something that I need to do will not leave. The Lord is pushing me in that direction. And how long can I deny it before the Lord will hold me accountable for disobedience? When the Lord asks us to do something, it is a command. A command through personal revelation, if it's something specific for you. Do you think that the Lord would have held Jeremiah accountable if he had said, nope, I'm inadequate. Call someone different. I can't do it. I won't do it. Yes, the Lord would have held Jeremiah accountable. Imagine for a moment that Jeremiah actually said no and refused. Does that mean that he would be doomed forever? Of course not. If he repented, I'm sure the Lord could get him back on track, just like he did with Jonah. But for sure, repentance would have been necessary. Now, if Jeremiah would have refused, the Lord would have found another way anyway to make sure that the message that needed to be spread to Judah of repentance would have been proclaimed anyway. 
So who really would have been harmed here? Would it have been the Lord's plan? Would it have been hindered? No. But Jeremiah himself would have been harmed. He would have stunted his own spiritual growth and put himself in a dangerous spiritual position of disobedience. And we also know that disobedience and wickedness can affect the people around us. So it might have affected his family poorly, or we just don't really know. But my point is, is that the Lord doesn't need us specifically in order to carry out his plans and his work and his glory, but he wants to use us. Even though he's going to get it done anyway, he wants us to choose him and obey because that's how we progress. That is what is necessary for us to get done here, what we're supposed to get done, what we came down here to do to fulfill our purpose. Is there anything that you have felt told to do by the Lord, like I have been feeling, that you have procrastinated or been ignoring? At the moment, I haven't done anything official about the issue that I've been wrestling with. I think I'm getting there, but at the moment, I feel like I'm still resisting the Lord's call to me because I don't want to do it. I'm not at this place as I'm talking to you where I am embracing this next part of my life that I really feel called to do. I'm still in a little bit of a state of resistance. And and as I'm talking about this, I'm kind of talking to myself. If I really believe that this thing that the Lord is pushing me to do is coming from the Lord, I need to do it and stop procrastinating. Because at what point will the Lord stop pushing me? And call me out on my disobedience. And what blessings or growth am I missing out on as I stall? And what blessings am I potentially keeping from my family? President Hinckley said, The happiness of the Latter-day Saints, the peace of the Latter-day Saints, the progress of the Latter-day Saints, the prosperity of the Latter-day Saints, the eternal salvation and exaltation of this people lie in walking in obedience to the counsels of God. President Monson said, My brothers and sisters, the great test of this life is obedience. We will prove them herewith, said the Lord, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. No greater example of obedience exists than that of our Savior. Of him Paul observed, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The Savior demonstrated genuine love of God by living the perfect life, by honoring the sacred mission that was His. Never was He haughty. Never was He puffed up with pride. Never was He disloyal. Ever was He humble. Ever was He sincere. Ever was He obedient. Though He was tempted by the master of deceit, even the devil, though He was physically weakened from fasting forty days and forty nights, and was unhungered, Yet, when the evil one proffered Jesus the most alluring and tempting proposals, he gave to us a divine example of obedience by refusing to deviate from what he knew was right. When faced with the agony of Gethsemane, where he endured such pain that his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground, he exemplified the obedient son by saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As the Savior instructed his early apostles, so he instructs you and me, follow thou me. Are we willing to obey? The Savior had a personal mission here on the earth. He had to obey commands that we are all asked to obey, such as baptism. But he was also called on his own personal mission from the Father. Now, of course, our mission is nowhere even imaginably close to the grandeur of the Savior's mission. But we were all known by the Lord in the preexistence. 
The Lord could say a similar thing to each of us as he said to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee to whatever mission you have here on the earth, a mission that is specific to you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 28, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if it so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So how do we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ? In other words, how do we attain eternal life, which is to live the quality of life that our Father in heaven lives? We have to be willing to suffer with him, knowing that all things work together for our good. We have to be a people who love God and be able to be described as those who are called according to his purpose. We have to be willing to follow through with the purpose that he gives us here in this life. President Uchtdorf said, God has something unimaginable in mind for you personally and the church collectively, a marvelous work and a wonder. As an apostle of the Lord, I invite and bless you to cheerfully do all things that lie in your power, and then may you stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And I promise that the Lord will cause unimaginable things to come from your righteous labors. Does the thought that God has something unimaginable for you prepared feel overwhelming? It does to me sometimes. I, like Jeremiah, feel overwhelmed and inadequate. But I'm comforted and have faith in God as I remember that He knew me before I was born. He knows me better than I know me. He is not going to ask of me anything that I cannot accomplish. Because anything He asks me to do, He will prepare a way. And that way is through the help of he who gave the command in the first place. He has the power to give us the power to accomplish what he asks. Our covenants give us power needed to accomplish the things we've been asked to do, no matter how hard. President Nelson said this last general conference, Dear brothers and sisters, I grieve for those who leave the church because they feel membership requires too much of them. They have not yet discovered that making and keeping covenants actually makes life easier. Each person who makes covenants in baptismal fonts and in temples and keeps them has increased access to the power of Jesus Christ. Please ponder that stunning truth. The reward for keeping covenants with God is heavenly power, power that strengthens us to withstand our trials, temptations, and heartaches better. This power eases our way. Those who live the higher laws of Jesus Christ have access to His higher power. Thus, covenant keepers are entitled to a special kind of rest that comes to them through their covenantal relationship with God. As covenant keepers, we have been asked by the Father to devote all our time, energy, might, mind, and strength toward working to build the kingdom of God here on earth. Now remember, that doesn't mean we spend all of our time filling our calling because one of our callings is our family. One of our callings is self-improvement, and so that can include all kinds of things. In April's General Conference, President Nelson said this, The future is always uncertain. Weather changes, economic cycles are unpredictable, disasters, accidents, and illnesses can change life quickly. These actions are largely beyond our control, but there are some things we can control, including how we spend our time each day. I like this poem by Henry Van Dyke. Posted on a sundial at Wells College in New York, it reads, The shadow by my finger cast divides the future from the past. 
Before it sleeps the unborn hour, in darkness and beyond thy power, behind its unreturning line, the vanishing hour no longer thine. One hour alone is in thine hands, the now on which the shadow stands. Yes, we should learn from the past, and yes, we should prepare for the future, but only now can we do. Now is the time we can learn. Now is the time we can repent. Now is the time we can bless others and lift up the hands which hang down. As Mormon counseled his son Moroni, let us labor diligently, for we have a labor to perform while in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. What things are the Lord prompting you to do, especially the things that you're fighting against that you don't want to do? And when does the Lord want you to do those things? Now. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect at them. It doesn't mean that there won't be room for improvement. It doesn't mean you won't mess up and have a step back every once in a while. But now is the time to prepare to meet God. Now is the time to obey His commandments, both general and personal. Are we delaying obeying the Lord and moving forward with our personal mission, with what He has foreordained us to do? I think we can't afford to be naive and think that the Lord will not hold us accountable for lack of action. President Nelson said in October 2020, The question for each of us, regardless of race, is the same. Are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Are you willing to let God be the most important influence in your life? Will you allow His words, His commandments, and His covenants to influence what you do each day? Will you allow His voice to take priority over any other? Are you willing to let whatever He needs you to do to take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in His? My dear brothers and sisters, as you choose to let God prevail in your life, you will experience for yourselves that our God is a God of miracles. What miracles did Jeremiah's obedience produce? He actually had a pretty hard life, full of being persecuted. He lived through hard times watching Jerusalem and its first destruction, and then living through the 11 years between, and then finally watching its complete destruction. And then he was carried away into Egypt to be stoned. On the outside, those aren't really the kind of miracles that I want to experience. But in reality, Jeremiah experienced the most profound miracle that any of us can experience. In chapter 20, Jeremiah had just been released from being in the stocks, which is where you put your head in your hands and they're pinned in a board as a form of public humiliation. And as soon as he's released, he continues with diligence to prophesy about what is going to happen to Jerusalem. But he acknowledges how miserable he is. He says in chapter 20, starting in verse 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, which means persuaded me, and I was deceived, persuaded. So, O Lord, thou hast persuaded me, and I was persuaded. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. Think about that. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. Jeremiah had agency. That means he let his will be swallowed up in the Lord's. I am in derision, meaning suffering. Daily, I am suffering daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out and I cried violence and spoil, meaning he's prophesying about Jerusalem. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. He's saying that he's preaching the word of God and it's caused him a lot of suffering in his life. Now listen to this next part. Then I said, 
I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in mine heart, as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah wanted to quit sometimes. I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more his name. He wanted to stop sometimes. But the word of the Lord was in his heart. He couldn't contain it. It was too hard. I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Is the Lord's word in your heart so strongly that you cannot resist doing as he asks? That's how I want my heart to be. Are we like Jeremiah and have our heart burning as fire in our bones, making it hard to keep our love of God and his gospel inside? President Nelson said in this general conference, as we strive to live the higher laws of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our very natures begin to change. The Savior lifts us above the pull of this fallen world by blessing us with greater charity, humility, generosity, kindness, self-discipline, peace, and rest. Now, you may be thinking this sounds a lot more like hard spiritual work than rest. But here is the grand truth. While the world insists that power, possessions, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh bring happiness, they do not. They cannot. What they do produce is nothing but a hollow substitute for the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God. The truth is, it is much more exhausting to seek happiness where you can never find it. However, when you yoke yourself to Jesus Christ and do the spiritual work required to overcome the world, He, and He alone, does have the power to lift you above the pull of this world. Now, how does overcoming the world bless our lives? The answer is clear. Entering into a covenant relationship with God binds us to Him in a way that makes everything about life easier. Please do not misunderstand me. I did not say that making covenants makes life easy. In fact, expect opposition because the adversary does not want you to discover the power of Jesus Christ. But yoking yourself with the Savior means you have access to His strength and redeeming power. Can you deny that Jeremiah had the strength and power of God? He had moments of despair. He had to witness the entire destruction of his civilization. I'm sure he lost many friends and family. And yet, he remained strong in his calling. He had access to the Lord's strength and redeeming power. Jeremiah's prophecies are important to us now, were important to the Book of Mormon prophets, and were important to the people of Jerusalem at his time. That is no small thing. His mission is not without reward. The prophet Jeremiah still exists right now. He's thinking something right now. He's doing something right now. Do you think he regrets doing as the Lord commanded, even though it was hard? President Nelson continues, I reaffirm a profound teaching of President Ezra Taft Benson. Men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out peace. These incomparable privileges follow those who seek the support of heaven to help them overcome this world. To this end, I extend to members of the entire church the same charge I gave to our young adults last May. I urge them, and I plead with you now, to take charge of your own testimony of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Work for it. 
Nurture it so that it will grow. Feed it truth. Don't pollute it with false philosophies of unbelieving men and women. As you make the continual strengthening of your testimony of Jesus Christ your highest priority, watch for miracles to happen in your life. My plea to you this morning is to find rest from the intensity, uncertainty, and anguish of this world by overcoming the world through your covenants with God. Let Him know through your prayers and your actions that you are serious about overcoming the world. Ask Him to enlighten your mind and send help you need. Each day, record the thoughts that come to you as you pray, then follow through diligently. Jeremiah ultimately followed through diligently, even in moments of despair. And he said, But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing that I could not stay. Do you feel weary with forbearing? I do sometimes. Sometimes I feel as though I have to be quieter with my testimony so that I don't bother anyone, so that I don't make people not like me. However, his word is in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and it makes me weary to forbear. Jeremiah says, I could not stay, which means he couldn't keep his love for God's word in his heart and for God's commandments. He had to share it and had to do as the Lord commanded. He proclaimed that the power of the love of God was stronger than his own will to make his own life easier. Are we at a place spiritually where we feel that so powerfully that we cannot help but embrace the mission that we've been given here on the earth because we love the Lord and his commandments? The evolution of Jeremiah is miraculous. The Lord made in him a new heart. The Lord never promised us that we would have a trouble-free life. Jeremiah certainly didn't have that. What he does promise us as we follow through with what we were foreordained to do is a new heart and ultimately miraculous progression to eternal life, the ability to become as he is and to help others do the same. Jeremiah's mission didn't begin and end here on the earth. He is still experiencing that progression right now. He fulfilled his mortal life mission with dedication, and that dedication is affecting his ability to continue to progress now and in the future. Your mission didn't begin and will not end here on the earth. Through our agency, we have the ability to choose whether to halt our progression, rejecting our mission, or we have the ability the privilege to choose the path that the Lord has prepared for our progression. It won't be easy, but we cannot afford to underestimate the incredible power that comes from that new heart that we're promised, the kind of heart where the love for the word of the Lord burns deep, deep enough and powerfully enough that even when we are tempted to resist and give up, that that testimony, that love for the Lord will make us grow weary with forbearance And we won't be able to help, but choose to let him prevail, refusing to keep it to ourselves as we go and do as the Lord has commanded of us. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.